in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power, oranges lust and blues you can trust, indigos feel and white ones heal, yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Volkelman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 538. Hmm. Dawn of DC continues. <laughs> Chad, mm. I'm, contain yourself, Chad. My I know. God. It's like you can just, the enthusiasm is just dripping. Chad, calm down. It is an hour show. You gotta save something. <laughs> Dan, do your recap. So Green Lantern oh, number five geez. is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Zermanico, colors by Ramulo Fajardo Jr. and letters by Dave Sharp. The title of this issue is Gift of Fear. Sinestro has taken control of Carol's drone jets and is using them to attack population centers around the world. They successfully hit Hub City before moving on to Las Vegas, Tokyo, Moscow and Washington, D.C. The military tries to intercept the drones, but can't compete with the systems that they themselves ordered Ferris aircraft to install. Hal manages to catch up with and destroy a few of the drones, but the remaining ones are on opposite ends of the Earth and will strike their targets at virtually the same time. So Hal tries something risky. He flies up as high as he can. He flies up as high as he can without his ring shutting off and fires a pair of constructs in opposite directions across the planet. The control tower at Ferris Aircraft can track the drones and HAL's constructs at the same time, and they can tell him how to adjust the speed and direction of the constructs to make sure they hit the drones. It just barely works. And with the drones taken care of, HAL goes to confront Sinestro. It turns out the Sinestro still has his yellow ring, but needs a large enough supply of fear to recharge it. So his plan was to make enough of the Earth's population afraid so he can use that fear to jumpstart his ring and go home to the planet Korrigar. But not only did Hal stop most of the drone's attacks, he also broadcast a reassuring message to the world that calmed everybody down and totally undermined Sinestro's plan. Sinestro had utterly failed to gather the fear that he needed and was only left with a seething anger. He tells Hal that there's something wrong with the emotional spectrum, and we see that for ourselves when Sinestro's rage overflows and the power of a red lantern erupts from Sinestro's yellow ring. We've also got a backup story written by Pierre J. Tomasi with art by Dave LaFuente, colors by Tamra Bonvillain, and colors by... uh. I wrote colors twice. One of these people is a letterer. Rob Lay. Rob Lay is the letterer. <laughs> this chapter is titled Wayward Son Part 2. Only two things of note happen in this chapter. First, Korg isn't the kid's real name. They're just calling him that since he's from Korrigar. Nobody knows what his real name is. Second, Korg hacks into some records about Sinestro, and we see visual homages to a bunch of covers, including Sinestro Core War Special Number 1, Green Lantern Number 4 from the New 52 series, Sinestro Number 21, and Issue 3 of this series. That's all. I swear to God, if the emotional reservoir is being depleted again, <laughs> I'm going to lose my shit. Oh, no. You, listen, you're going you're going w- much further back than you need to to try and figure out what's going on with the spectrum here. Because remember how the last uh, volume of Green Lantern ended with a bunch of the spectrum being merged together into a big glowy ball on Oa? Mm-hmm. And, hey, Green Lanterns started manifesting the powers of Star Sapphires and Blue Lanterns against their will. But not all of them, and not all the time. Like, it's exactly the same thing that's happening to Sinestro right here. Like, the biggest surprising part of it is that it's a Yellow Lantern manifesting Red Lantern powers because they weren't wrapped up in the whole plan of the the 
the antagonist of the Jeffrey Thorne run. But I guess if we think of the of the emotional spectrum as one, like a greater, like a multifaceted greater force, then I guess it makes sense that if you tie one end of it up in knots, it would have some downstream effect on the other half. Yeah, I would say the, for what it's worth, there's much of an explanation. But yes, if, if all the quote unquote positive sides of the emotional spectrum were all hooked together, then it would make sense potentially that all the negative sides of the emotional spectrum can be. And it also would be really funny though. They probably won't do this is that this could all come back down to the fact that they, that when they re they refill the spectrum, parallax didn't go with them. <laughs> the entity, it would really be nice if some, somehow we find out at some point there would be some ramifications from the fact that not every entity went to restart the emotional spectrum. It actually would be kind of, when you think about it, only short term, because we like the Sinestro core as foils too much. But it would be kind of cool. It's like, hey, guess what? The Sinestro core runs out of energy. Why? Because the yellow part of the spectrum was never replenished. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, like, because the Thorn run ended with the establishment of a new status quo going forward. And this is, like, like what we're seeing now is a manifestation of that status quo. And it probably, it, like, it's probably not helping that, you know, as... As Chad points out every now and then, there are no guardians there to kind of oversee this. And it's like there's nobody in place who can begin to understand what these changes mean. Like the guardians are gone. Maybe John could do it or something, but he's actively trying to avoid it. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 a, there's a lot of potential to go in a lot of different directions since you literally took everything connected to the green blue and sapphire power sources mixed them all together and threw in a ton of magic and and invented a new force of nature essentially let's forget about you summarize the backup story quite well it's like other than it being like a alien version of oliver twist to a certain extent who the who cares it's crazy i mean but i have if you look at the actual main story in this book, I really like the main story. I think this might be the best to me, maybe because it's so direct and it's leaving out all this, hey, Kilowog's at a ballpark, or is he? And it's like, it's just such a straightforward Hal Jordan kicking ass story that we haven't really gotten instead of taking shots at Hal and all the stuff that, you know, Hal Jordan, you know, gets the better of Sinestro. We see why he's better than Sinestro. He, all the stuff. It's, I think, I think it really, really works. And, I, I did think the ending of the ending besides the red ring, red ring thing, even though it does give us the explanation for it. Where the hell did Sinestro get a red ring? Well, we kind of know he didn't <laughs> really that the the reality is it is interesting how they just throw in. Oh, the secret of Hal's Earth exile at last revealed for the next issue. I guess we'll get so at least we're going to know something by the end of next issue. Yeah, but you're right. This was a nice, a nice, almost more self-contained feeling story that at the same time was really propped up well by the prior issues. Because, I mean, what Hal does, like his whole Hail Mary play at the end here, is a a much larger scale version of what he struggled to do during his team up with The Flash. Like, he he was having trouble maintaining two constructs at once within the confines of Coast City. And now the only way to stop two cities from getting bombed is if he can now maintain it on a global scale. And I love the fact that he needed to get help from, from a uh, Carol and, and her whole crew in Ferris's aircraft control tower. Like that was a really, really cool way to use the supporting cast in this moment. When he, the way he took out the final planes was cool, but I actually kind of liked the one, the way he took out the previous one better when he shifted the, the, the light spectrums to be able to find the one that was in stealth mode. Yeah, I actually thought I thought that one was pretty clever. I thought I thought that one was pretty clever the way he did the he did the shift. So he he shifted the the spectrum of the light enough so he could see something even in stealth mode once he under once he understood basically how the cloaking device how the cloaking device worked. Even though it does kind of go along with what you said, Dan, the fact that uh, he needs he's able to do the heavy lifting, but he still needs input input from his quote unquote team in order to get to to get to that point. And and it, and it is. And at least, you know, I thought when we when we're getting to the end, when he has to deal with the two planes going like in the opposite directions, that that's his uh, 
that's his Christopher Reeve Superman the movie moment when it's like, well, you're fast enough to stop one on your own, but you can't stop both. Except obviously Hal was able to circumvent that, at least luckily for Moscow and for Washington, D.C. Yeah. Well, it's it's also reinforcing this idea that there are things Hal can't do if he goes it alone. You know, right. like look at look at how much good came from him just just spending time listening to Barry last issue. Like and not just in terms of like what they did as superheroes, but how that helped him as a person. And now he's confronted with a situation where people are gonna die unless he accepts help from other people who are also close to him. And because he does, they achieve something that none of them could have by themselves. Dad, you've been unusually quiet. I'm just thinking about why uh, Sinestro can't light his own ring. Um, I mean, it could have something to do with the emotional spectrum stuff that's uh, that he mentioned in the book and that Dan elaborated on a minute ago. But we know for sure that, you know, and I have the page up in front of me from Sinestro, Tales of Sinestro Corps. When Lysa Drax was talking to Amon Sur, she's like, you will sit within a fear lodge until you embrace your own fears and light your own ring. We know that they can light their own rings. So uh, if anybody should be able to light their own ring, it should be Sinestro. But again, maybe he tried and he can't. Um, so but uh, it's so it's like either he tried and he can't or Jeremy Adams doesn't know he can. Well, there's also I mean. Sinestro's own emotional state is going to play a big factor into that, too, because he's very much kind of he's he's kind of floundering and trying to dig himself out of a hole right now. So he's not exactly in the best shape. You have to remember, we're still really dealing with the aftermath of the modern classic Dark Crisis. (laughs) Any chance to bring it up? Uh. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, no, I just, yeah, um, like I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much more willing to put it on what the end story reason, as opposed to Jeremy Adams, not knowing, because clearly Jeremy Adams knows quite a bit, uh, about, uh, the Lord here and has, has proven that time again. So I'm not, I'm not readily leaping to, uh, tell <laughs> listeners at home that, the that it's Jeremy's fault. Cause he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm just, I, I'm more looking for the, uh, in story explanation. So. There's that. Also, I'm getting a little sick of the trope of uh, um, taking over the airways to address and threaten the world. <laughs> the trope that happens uh, with villains all the time. So I did. I um, did like. I did like his his shtick was pretty good because 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 there are certain there certainly are a bunch of things that he said that you know many people would agree is, his assessment is not incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, but yes, it's, it's been it's been tried. It's been tried before. But because but literally he's desperate. I, he's so desperate to try to get enough fear out there that maybe he's maybe his plan will work. But yeah, it makes me wonder things like, you know, in the DC universe, you know how like you just kind of you assimilate danger or different things in your life once it becomes frequent enough. I wonder if this is like the billionth time someone has taken over the airways and threatened the world, do you think there are some people down there in that crowd or just like, Oh, well, yeah, yet another villain doing this thing. I don't have to stop and listen to this. I'm just going to continue to go about my day. (laughs) I mean, probably (laughs) honestly, it probably depends what city it is. It's like, I feel like if that happens in metropolis, people are going to be like a little concerned, but like, it'll be fine because Somewhere between one and five supermen live there. <laughs> people would be like, yeah. check. People would be like looking at their watch. It's like, man, it's like, I was wondering when you were going to show up. You're like five minutes later than we thought you were going to get here. Like, come on, man. It's like, mm. it's like, we, we can't, we can't live without a big televised threat to our city every week. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, because we're ramping up <laughs> to the final revelation of everything that happened on Korgar and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, the thing that just happened was, Sinestro and his ring and all this. It might be another issue or two before we circle back around. But it seems like in this issue, Hal and Carol, or at least Carol put aside her issues currently with Hal, and they were able to work together to get the job done. And I thought that was kind of cool. But you can tell she's pretty inspired by what he says, and she's able to see like maybe a different side of him or re-see a side that he's always had but hasn't shown her since he's gotten back. 
So I'd be interested to, especially after his conversation with Barry in the previous issue, I'd be, I'd definitely be interested to, to see what their conversation is like the next time these two characters have a chance to talk without the threat of danger or the collapse of her company or her drones being at fault for something. Um, it's not living over their head. And related to that, I'm wondering what Hal is going to think of her fiance, Nate. Nate going forward because not only was he the one that designed the satellite radio that Carol and Hal were using this issue, Nate's the one that guided Hal's constructs to their target. You know, like be, like between the events of this issue and the talk with Barry, like is Hal going to kind of warm up to Nate a little bit? Will will Nate recognize Hal's voice? The which because he heard. Hal talk over the the comm at the very end there when he asked about Sinestro's location. And also, should Nate be trusted? Because if you remember my big stupid theory, it would be very easy for Nate to not be the person we think he is. Or like a manhunter in disguise or something? Or like a member of the cult, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do, I do appreciate a little bit of Nate's clap back here. Cause this general gets in his face and starts yelling. You mean to tell me these death vehicles can be anywhere in the sky and we can't find them. And instead of like, you know, somebody way beneath their station, just going to have to say, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Whatever. You know, those were your specifications when you asked us to build them general. <laughs> so I, that's nice. You know, something that I wonder Ferris aircraft always seems like it's one bad day away from going out of business forever. And their drones just successfully bombed one city and almost bombed multiple other countries. And the military is like in this, in the exchange you just talked about, the military is already trying to pass the buck. Is there, do we think there's going to be any kind of fallout? from ferris drones caught like doing this attack i mean in story you would probably assume that that's i mean that's that's too much of a shiny apple to set aside for conflict in the story but that said we have so many other things to focus on plus sinestro just pretty much attached his face to the whole thing um so i mean you know if it were more you know uh, covert <laughs> or whatever, but he's like of fear and boom. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but you know, whether people overseas would buy that or not, I don't know. Interesting too. Also how, how got on international news so quickly from Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was, uh, I've never seen worldwide news outlets uh, cooperate that quickly before. <laughs> you know, that, that's the big, that's the biggest piece of magic in the whole thing. Like it, I mean, it, a detail I do really appreciate is if you zoom in on the reporter's microphone, it has the letters NNN, which actually is a real thing. It stands for a Nippon News Network, and it's like a huge like news carrier out of Japan. Hmm. It is apparently available through through uh, certain like international cable providers. So, because I had that question too, I'm like, wait a second, this American guy just fell out of the sky in the middle of Tokyo and starts delivering a speech in English on TV. Is this gonna, is this gonna go worldwide? I don't, I don't know, but like, I guess it, I guess it could. I don't think Hal was talking to Nate, by the way, I'm looking back at that page, those pages and he's saying hello. And then he says, I think I lost the connection. I don't hear anything. And then he keeps talking to Hal and Hal hasn't said anything. Oh yeah. But like the, the page after the drones are destroyed, we see them cheering in the control room. Nate's still wearing the head dress, the head uh, set. And then Hal says, what's the location of Sinestro? So like, oh, yeah, unless maybe. we, unless we missed him passing it back to Carol, like there would be at least one moment where he heard Hal's voice. Gotcha. So now that we know, now that we've got confirmation that the spectrum is all wonky, do we think there's any ties between that and Hal's, ability to suddenly make constructs in different colors because when he made that gazelle in issue three it looked like it was made of star sapphire energy before he tinted it green and then in this issue when he's cycling through the different wavelengths to detect cloaked drones 
the colors representing those wavelengths are green, purple, and orange. Like it's only like primary colors that we associate with the spectrum. And so like, is it possible that he's not just, just reflect refracting the light differently? Like he thinks he is. Hmm. Maybe it opens up that possibility now. That's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Just like in guess in theory, it opens up the possibility that part of why house house ring is only working the way it's working, and not and where it stops working and all these things. All that it may be the limitations to his ring are also partially, if not still, tied to the spectrum because maybe the way because of how he made the ring, the way he's able to access it is, is also different. It's it opens up more possibilities than probably we were maybe it more doors and certain doors maybe we had closed before. Or we weren't. We certainly weren't leaning towards potentially opening anyway. But I, I, I definitely think this was this kind of like arced us back upwards, though, as far as I, we were. I, I wasn't too thrilled with the kind of like where we, certainly after last issue, I wasn't too thrilled with this book. But this makes me feel better about. About where we're headed and plus, we at least know we're going to get some answers next next issue, whether of course, it doesn't mean we're going to get all the answers about it, like. I guess we want to believe it's going to tell us, give us the big answer to the, you know, sixty-four thousand dollar kilowatt question, but it probably will. But at least we're just, we're gonna, we're going to know why Hal is exiled and what led what led him to basically flipping the bird, I guess, to the uh, United Planets and everything else. So the big qu- the biggest question I have at this point is, are they going to save the revelation for the last page? Or is are we going to actually dig into what happened in next issue? No, it'll be issue seven. Oh, so you, issue you think it'll be the last page? Yeah, I'm pretty I'm I'm nearly positive it's gonna be um issue seven. Uh that we'll we'll learn any everything because um the solicits? Because of the solicits, uh but also um you know, I'm just trying to find the solicit now because um Good grief! Where did it go? Y'all yeah, because yeah. Yeah, there because there was one solicit in particular that it, that did basically talk about that, like almost like past tense that something had been revealed or is going to be revealed. Well, the cover that. of the cover of six says a battle of wills, a secret revealed, but so the solicit for seven says the death of a major green lantern character revealed after his explosive confrontation with sinestro green lantern is confronted by the united planets lanterns for illegally operating with a quarantine zone and the mystery of what took place on Korrigar is finally revealed and then it talks about the finale with the sense and stuff before it becomes its own series Good luck with that one you know i already recorded my audio for my video about this issue and i completely forgot the backup story even existed i read it i just it just i got to the page where the house story stopped and i'm like all right comics over and that's and that's kind of like a i mean it may not be a big shift for you but that is a shift for you right you didn't you you didn't and the, you didn't hate the first part as much basically as i did no you, i thought i thought i I walked away from it thinking like okay you know that was kind of nice but it would probably be better if it was all in one one shot you know but like this one literally nothing happened yeah so it's like it was it was was like i like i had if i didn't write down what those cover references were there would have been nothing to say about it i looked at those images and i thought they meant something but in all honesty probably because of the because i don't like the art i don't like that style that it didn't even hit me and even after you so as soon as you said that i went back and i looked at that page because i knew what the page you meant it's like, oh yeah, that is a reference to Sinestro Court number one, but when they're all like, like kind of held up on the on the dial of the cir- or the circle of the symbol, it's like, oh yeah, it just looks like crap, but yeah, that's what it's supposed to mean. Yeah, I, it's if this is supposed to be a selling point to try to get people to to really be interested in this as a spinoff, they they are they are failing miserably. Miserably. So I don't, I yeah. Well, also, I, I isn't isn't Tomasi leaving for uh yes. for ghost machine so like yep. is he supposed to be writing the book that this is leading into um he probably was supposed to be writing the book <laughs> not, probably not anymore or not going to be he, he may he may they may get something out of him but obviously if it's going to be an ongoing he, he can't possibly be the, the the ongoing writer for the majority of the book 
anyway. Uh, Sinister, Sinister Sun's number one. Solicit is already out for release oh. in February, and he is listed as the writer. It's entirely possible he turned in the entire script for the whole story, and it's already been, you know, so he's not writing anything new, probably. But how many it's issues a, is that? Do we I, I don't know. I, I mean, so it's got to be a many. We like to think it's a many, but that's you're right. If if it was only like three or four issues or something, then yeah, it's possible he could have had it all written, or you were all written ahead of time. But I mean, the modern classic, sinister, uh, sinister son. Well, well, the one, well, the one thing is the way this is the way this is looking compared to this, Dark Crisis would be a modern <laughs> classic. I think I read that this backup is going to be four parts in total, so there's two more chapters of this. Oh God! Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's Sinsen or or Korg or whatever we want to call him, but it's also Lorzad that's teaming up with him. Oh, those are the Sinister Sons. Okay. Yeah. We'll probably find some more. Well, uh, uh, at least Zod's son might be might, might at least Zod might be interesting. You know, actually, the most interesting thing about this is I know I saw I know I saw Myron's review on this i read it and he said it would kind of be interesting if it turned out that this kid isn't sinestro's kid at all but it's sora's kid regardless of whether it was sora's kid with kyle which would make it inherently more interesting oh, but but just the fact that this was sora's kid and the fact that sinestro is actually his grandfather that would kind of make that would make it more interesting from a lineage perspective for me but if you had to read this on its own and, and be interested it's like yeah uh i i would have rather had like five blank pages could you imagine if he found out that Sinestro is his grandfather instead of his father, and that just totally kills his interest? <laughs> well, I could, it could, it probably would have some effect on his self-image. The question is, I don't. It would be, it would be funny. Yes, I will acknowledge that. I don't, I don't see how it would. I don't see logically why that would, in all serious, seriousness, why that would derail him from getting jumping off the cult of Sinestro in his head. But yeah, but still, if he's that wrapped up in all oh, my my whole identity is that I have to be Sinestro's son slash maybe Sinestro's real heir, and it's like, oh. I mean, he still oh technically would be Sinestro's heir if if Sora if he was Sora's kid because as far as we know, he only has one kid, and now you know he's next in line to the throne after Sora. Oh my God, Mark, this makes him little baby Kylo Ren. <laughs> He's obsessed with his grandpa's war crimes, and he oh. wants to be just like him. Like he it. does cosplay. He's, he's perfect. He's <laughs> little Kylo Ren. So, also the circling back just real quick, uh, okay. the reason the the other reason I think it's going to be, um, it's it's not going to be fully fully revealed until issue seven, other than the solicit, is because the solicit for the um the trade the first trade of this volume has been released and it's going to be issues one through six in the collected edition which isn't surprising it's usually six issues anyways but what better way to leave the uh the story and try and get people to buy the next volume than with a really big cliffhanger true i did i I had seen that the solicit for the first graphic novel was that for this was i just couldn't where i looked it just didn't give me the information on what number issues were included in it yeah, it's issues one through six that obviously, you know, as as was uh, guessed upon in previous episodes, uh, the uh, Night Terror stuff is not going to be in there. So, That's but shame. it comes out, it, it comes out in fucking June. <laughs> yes, that's what I saw, June, yeah. Oh, wow, that, that's yep. a while, what the fuck? Yeah, I know, DC is pissing me off with... Uh, with their ridiculous timetables on getting trades out. Uh, Marvel has done a much better job over the past couple of years, but DC can't get their shit together and releasing trades at a decent timetable. <clears throat> but yeah, there's also going to be, uh, don't forget, I, there's uh, the Kyle Rayner Rising Compendium is uh coming out too by the way guys uh if everybody yeah. listening at home it's uh the date is november 21st and as we record this it's the 15th so like next week uh yeah. the kyle rayner compendium rising compendium will be out as well and that is collecting the exact same material from the two kyle rayner trades the first two in that series that came out already and they never they solicited volume three but never did it so if you want to see more like more new content collected, 
it would be volume two of this compendium is volume one sells enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, for just, you know, because I got it in front of me, uh, this compendium has Green Lantern Zero, uh, as well as 48 through 65, Rebels, the acronym, 94, number one, New Titans, uh, 116 and 117, as well as 124 and 125, Guy Gardner, Warrior, 27 through 28, Dark Stars, 34, and Damage, number 16. And hopefully all those are concluded in order of story. <laughs> Which I would think so. <laughs> I would I would think so too. But uh, as of right now, um, eBay has it. Not eBay. Uh, Amazon has it for fifty eight bucks. I'm not sure if that's a discounted price or just a regular price. But that's a pretty good price for oh, all these comics. That's definitely discounted. Yeah. So you you can pre order the compendium for like fifty eight bucks on Amazon, but if you were to wait a little bit and wait till it actually releases on the 21st, you could go to instocktrades.com where your first offers um, are up to 42% off plus free shipping for over $50 for us customers. And they save you up to 40% on most comics that they have there. You have quite a lot of deals over on instocktrades.com. So feel free to uh, reach out to them and see if you can get, the uh, Kyle Rayner Rising Compendium from them for even cheaper. And uh, if you do, send them an email. Let them know that the Lantern Cast sent you. Because we should get sponsorships. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. I'm just trying it out. I'm just trying it out. (laughs) You know, one free promo and let's see what happens. (laughs) Shameless Chad Bokelman, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Chad Moneybags Bogleman <laughs> strikes again. Mo money, mo money. <laughs> oh man. Um. All right. What else do we want to talk about about this issue? Do we have more to say about the sense and backup or no? I did. You know, I will say, I thought it was it, even if I'm not like you know the target audience for the story, the character, the even the art. I will appreciate that the artist um, David LaFuente took the time to recreate all these moments from Sinestro's history in his art style. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the only, I don't know. I mean, the only other thing I really have that really comes to mind about this issue is how much, how much, unfortunately my experience with it was tainted by DC's promotion, both the promotional material and the cover. (laughs) Because like they announced, they solicited months ago that actually I have it right here underneath several other things. Uh, the solicitation for Green Lantern number five reads: "The rage of Thal Sinestro, as the rage builds to cataclysmic levels within Hal Jordan's most vicious adversary, the power of the Red Lantern Ring has turned Sinestro's wrath into a planet-wide fury." And I won't read further because the next bullet point spoils probably what's going to happen next issue. (laughs) And at this point, there was no sign whatsoever of any Red Lantern stuff in this series at all. And all I could think is, wow, that would have been I would have never seen that coming. This would have been this would have knocked me on the ass. I've been so surprised and excited by this. And as we got closer to it, I'm like, I see the cover the cover where Sinestro is glowing red and floating next to text that says Rage of the Red. And in my mind, I'm trying to tell myself, you know what? They're not treating this like it's a big a big reveal. So maybe it just sort of happens in the middle of the issue somewhere, and it's like, it's not treated like a surprise. Maybe I'm making too much of it. And then it's obviously, it is the page turn full splash reveal on the final page, the big cliffhanger to bring you back to the next issue. And it's like, wow, okay, so this was written to be that kind of moment, that kind of big impactful moment that was completely toothless and fell flat because it wasn't allowed to be what it was written to be. And I know... I'm kind of asking for it by going off and out of my way to read solicita- solicitations, but I can't, I'm anyone who reads this is going to see the damn cover. So like I'm, I'm willing to take a, a piece of the blame, but somebody at DC that is higher up than the creative team because covers need to get approved before they're used. 
somebody at DC needs to, to give more of a damn about the reader's experience. And I know that there is all sorts of studies and opinions and whatever that like, oh, you know, you'll you'll appreciate a story better if you know the twist going in. Great. That disregards the fact that a spoiler a spoiler free experience can be had exactly one time and then it's gone forever. You have exactly one chance to experience the story the way the storyteller wanted you to the first time through. And then every other subsequent time, you can experience it with prior knowledge to see how we built there, to see the little hints and whatever. That will exist forever. The experience that I wanted to have with this is gone and never had the chance to exist. Excuse me. That, that is That is true. That we all we we all were waiting for that red that red lantern ring moment because we knew it was it was in a solicit. Like imagine if the kill whatever the hell is happening with Kilowog or Korrigar was just spoiled it by the solicitations. Like one of the most like interesting things to try and figure out about this run so far would just be over already when and then we just have to wait for the the book to catch up to what we already know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <sighs> I, which I, you know, it's obviously not Jeremy Adams' fault because he was even talking about it a little bit on Twitter. But if I'm putting this on anybody, uh, Paul Kaminsky, editor, should have done a better job. Um, look, I get you the editor of the. Let's see, I don't see a listing for group editor here, so it's not like Paul Kaminsky. I, I don't, at least as far as we can tell, is probably not over the other Lantern titles. Um, but um. You're at least over this one. Uh, so if anybody on your team has the power to say anything to DC editorial or whatever, uh, you are DC editorial. You should have said something, Paul. We know for a fact that writers do not do their own solicitation copy. They do not have any any influence over what goes on the cover. And again, the cover artists, like the covers have to be approved before they, they get used. So anything that wasn't supposed to be there wouldn't be there. Yeah. And Zermanico uh, may have drawn it, but he maybe was directed to. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe he submitted multiple different copies. Maybe this was supposed to be the cover uh, for another issue, or maybe this was just supposed to be a variant and not the main cover. I don't know. But a eh, little less uh, OK on that one, because Zermanico has drawn all the main covers. Yeah. Um, but but so, I mean, yeah. to your point, like this is not the image you arrive at if you're just told, oh yeah, draw a cover of Halver Sinestro. Like this is highly specific. Mm-hmm. And Zermanico's not the letter. He didn't put Rage of the Red on the cover. Yeah. 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 100%. I'm putting it on Paul Kaminsky. Um, and uh, it's definitely not anybody on the creative team's fault for sure. But yeah, that does suck. Other than that, good issue. Yeah, good issue. I, I feel like we should be talking more about it, but there's it's I mean, there's lots of dialogue, lots of action, but it is relatively straightforward of a story. There's not a whole lot to dissect here other than maybe the final seconds of, in terms of what Sinestro says. I do think it's funny that he's like, there was this little girl and she smiled at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was a little yeah, that was kind of that was kind of dumb. Uh, so, like, I'm like, like I'm I I am positive. People have smiled at him before. <laughs> this little girl <laughs> smiled at me and I realized I'm not the man I once was. She should but be then terrified I fa- of me. Then I found my my new home in in your earth hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We just need Sinestro. We need a cover of Sinestro walking away from his Sinestro core outfit in a, <laughs> in a garbage can. can. Yes. <laughs> no more. <laughs> God. I know pretty much we've gotten almost every character doing that, except clearly Sinestro isn't walking away by choice. That'd be more, so it'd be more like the garbage can with the ring walking away from him. <laughs> Come back. Oh, man. Oh, man. But yeah, I mean, I feel like this, this, I'll be interested to see what people say about this run once the trade is out, because if each issue feels light enough that it probably does read much better as a single volume, but, and that's not to take anything away from it, but it's like, it's very much like the, the real meat of this is 
the character development and the the breadcrumbs of the plot. So an issue like this where it's more focused on like the the fast-paced superhero action, you know, it's not only is it going to go by faster because it's all high octane action scenes, but it's also lighter than usual on the more substantive stuff that is what's happening with Hal's personal life and also is Kilowog dead. <laughs> yeah. So so it becomes a good read, but a quicker read. It's just so straightforward. I mean, yeah, because there's less focus on the things that we don't know and the mystery that by the very nature of it, it's going to be easier to recap and easier to just either it works for you or it doesn't work for you just because there's, it's just, you know, the meat's there. It's, it's all there. So there's not, there's not a lot of, not a lot of subtext until the very end when Sinestro throws in this, you know, the emotional spectrum talk, but that did impact what we saw in the issue, you know, for 90% of it. So I will say, Sinestro says, I came here for help, you imbecile. Something is wrong with the emotional spectrum. You must have felt it by now. But after our encounter, you know, with an ellipsis between R and the word encounter, my power was gone. So I was stranded on the streets of your world, powerless. If his power was gone after the encounter, then how did they end up on Earth from the incident on Korrigar? So that's that's something. And also... You didn't really say you came here for help the last time you talked to Hal, you dumbass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the that's the bigger that's the bigger thing to focus. Well, again, it's typical Sinestro, and it's why when we were speculating, well, you, well, you are you are more speculating than than Dan and I, honestly. That you know, what if you know, what if Sinestro is actually telling the truth and is like, yeah, he won't be because because we know which one of the two is the unreliable narrator, <laughs> and it's like if if that's if that's Sinestro's version of, yeah, I came to you asking for your help and you rejected me. It reminded me because I've been watching this on Max the last couple of nights. I've been watching, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, American Chopper, watching Paul Sr. and Paul Jr. get along. Oh, God. And, and that's what this reminds me of. It's like two people can sit there and have a conversation and take two entirely different things from it. And that's kind of what Sinestro, I think it's more, it's not to be fair. It's more representative of Sinestro's view on things and how I think Hal can more be more objectively, at least recall the conversation, if not verbatim, at least more closer to the way it went down than Sinestro, because he's just he's so slanted and refuses. He he funnels everything in his head and translated translates it into Sinestro ease. But, yeah, that's what it kind of reminded me of when I when I when I read the issue, it's like, yeah, it's like. If that's what you took from that, the conversation that you had, that you went to Hal looking for help, it's like basically it's like, give me a ring. I'm going to blow up your city. That has nothing to do with looking for help. Sinestro very, very clearly, like even even last issue when the conversation happened, like Sinestro very clearly thought that was going to go differently. And I think he just didn't account for for how much Hal's situation and state of mind has changed as a result of whatever it is we don't know about yet. Because I can see under other circumstances, these characters sitting down and talking to each other where Hal is more amicable about it. But because of whatever happened, he's not willing to give an inch. And as a result, Sinestro is like, okay, I guess it's plan B time. Which I also love how this issue gives new perspective to and new context to him planting those bombs around Coast City. Because it's all an extension of the exact same thing. He's trying, he's attacking cities to try and generate fear. Because if he if he just got Hal's ring like he wanted, he could have just put it on and flown away. He wouldn't have had to bomb anything. Yeah, I will say, Mark, there's, there's a difference. I, too, love reruns of American Chopper, but uh, the Tuttles have much more of a problem with ego. So it may be a great comparison. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you are you are you are correct. I mean, I used to, I, I just found I mean, it made sense because they have so much of the TLC and every all the content on, on, on Max anyway. But for some reason. I actually, I don't even think I looked for it. I think it was just recommended or, or like a series or something. And then I checked to see they had like ser- seasons of the show that I hadn't, that I had actually moved on and stopped watching. Even though the last few seasons weren't really seasons anyway, they're like five or six episodes, but still, but yeah, it's like, it's an interesting show, even from a creation perspective, even though I'm not a big motorcycle guy, but yes, the relationship between the father and the son, because 
even though it's to an extreme, there are many people who can relate to having, especially if you work, if you've ever worked with a relative that especially a parent and a child or two brothers or whatever, two sisters, that there's a certain percentage of those relationships which can maybe not go to that extreme, but can be pretty volatile because you bring your baggage into everything. But yeah, it is. I agree with you that there, there is more, there is more ego in absolutely as at times, almost all the time involved in, in that. But yeah, that's, but yeah, it's it, ego it, and stubbornness. Uh, yes. Yes. And that, and that did, re, and that did remind me of uh, the fact that it's like, I haven't taken that conversation. It's like, wow. It's like, Hey, I, I thought we left in a really good place. And it's like, I, I thought you flipped me the bird. It's like, how is that possible? <laughs> um, I do hope that the trade paperback for this stuff, uh, or the, the collected edition for the first six issues, at least um, does something to address the random pause that we're going to get uh, when the plane is besieged at the end of issue two by a bunch of ghosts. Um, because, yeah, I, I, you know, I figured out, um, yeah, you're right. It's going to be collected into an edition. It's going to be called Night Terrors Nightmare League. That's there's going to be, I think, five different Night Terrors trades. And one of them is called Nightmare League, which will have the Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern and Flash stories uh, collected in them. So I hope the, they change the editorial boxes or whatever to just not, it's not just point to night terrors, but say, Hey, if you want to follow the green lantern story from night terrors, check out, you know, night terrors, nightmare league trade paperback on shelves now or something like that. Um, I wonder, I, I wonder if they would just like take out that final page or the final two pages of I, that one issue. I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, um, I am. I mean, so like, yeah, him him being uh, set off, triggered by this girl, but also him never actually saying I came here for help. That's also yeah, it's worth pointing out. But I am now very curious, you know, but after our dot 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 encounter, my power was gone and I was uh, I was stranded on the streets of your world powerless. So somehow the stuff that happened on Korrigar led to because because we learned the secrets of Hal's uh self-imposed exile on earth so he decided to come back to earth so how did how did both sinestro and Hal wind up back on earth together after the events of korrigar so we did technically get another piece they came back to earth together and or at the same time or the events of what happened on korrigar somehow concluded on earth instead of on korrigar Maybe, maybe, you know, the bulk of it happened on Korrigar, but some somehow finished, somehow it finished on Earth. Maybe like, I don't know, maybe something happened to the yellow battery and like they ended up like teleported to Earth or something. Because I've I've always I've been assuming this whole time that when Hal quit the core, he like he was yelling at the United Planets Council in person and like threw his ring down or something. But like he could have done it over the phone from from the California desert. Yeah. He also says, I looked for ways home, Jordan, but the United Planets was guarding what went in and what went out. How are they guarding it? Is there a contingent of lanterns surrounding, I don't know, beyond Earth's instruments to detect it? Or are they at the edge of the solar system? Uh, do they have some sort of blockade? Like, obviously, we've been... These these aren't new questions, uh, but it you know it's it's giving us the pause to ask them again. Well, also look how many times Lantern Varen has come and gone from Earth over in in a Green Lantern War Journal. Yeah. So I think it's just like I think it's just a case of like they put the word out there that the sector's off limits, and they probably have. A, an undermanned security force that does put like regular patrols, but isn't actually big enough to really enforce it. Yeah, maybe. I guess we'll see. Yeah. The only other thing I want to point out is that in uh on the page where Hal sends out the the two big constructs, there's a a little bit of dialogue here saying you've thrown constructs with precision before. This is like this is just like on Taraxia nine, only on a slightly bigger scale. And like Jeremy Adams loves little references like that. And it makes I really wonder if he's pulling from actual old comics 
or if it's just like if he's just making up like like little details here and there for flavor you know like like i it would just from some of the stuff that i have been able to confirm is early silver age references from early from uh the first few issues of his run it makes me think that like every single time we get a a, a stray line like this that there is some super early silver age comic where hal went to the planet Taraxia 9 and had to sharpshoot a construct at something, you know, like some obscure little thing. Hmm. Yeah, I will admit that reference made me curious too. Not curious enough, sadly, to look it up. I tried to look it up, but I but I did wonder if like A, are we supposed to know that? And is that something that even if we weren't supposed to quote unquote know it, if we went to go look it up, we could find it. Wise is is what Thanos' wife? Taraxia. Oh, oh, okay. I forgot he was married. Yeah. Oh, she probably oh, hates death. <laughs> good one. Oh, yeah. Good. Ever ever since I found out those those space lizard people whose names I'm forgetting about right now in the office building of, in issue like one or two was actually a reference to like the third ever issue of Justice League. I'm like, okay, anything, anything could be fair game as being a real Silver Age reference. Like the more obscure, the better. Hmm. I guess I think there's more to Taraxia than just I think he created her somehow. But yeah, anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there. Clearly different universe, different publisher. All right. Anything else we want to talk about tonight? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it in brief passing. Anyway, let's do two things that we're not going to talk about in detail at all. So it'll be like teasers. We want to thank Shane again for his email from last week since he did reply again. And and his acknowledgement that we got a lot of material out of his uh his email from last week. So it was like, yeah, it's like, uh, we're glad that we got a lot of material out of that too. <laughs> it was a good conversation point. Uh, and Kim, we're going to address your, we liked your email too. It's pretty thought provoking too. We just didn't, we knew we weren't going to have time to delve into it today or do justice to it. So that will be, that will be coming soon. Other than that, uh, the only thing I wanted to say, uh, and we know this guy, there will be at least one episode coming on Marvel soon because there's just too much shit that's going on for us not to talk about it in in um, in mass, even though how how we're going to approach it will be interesting, especially since like like Chad isn't going to see the Marvels for a while. I'm going to see it tomorrow. Yeah. So we'll have so we may have to split this up where, no matter what, because Corwin's seen the Marvels and I've seen the Marvels. Dan's going to see the Marvels. Corwin's also seen Loki. Have you finished Loki yet, Chad? No, I haven't. I finished it. Yeah, and I bet you Jim probably, I know Jim has too. So so we got to figure this out. But it's been a really interesting because you had the you had the 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 beauty of Loki with the with the enjoyable but mediocrity of the Marvels. But more importantly, you had all the stuff, all this news that has been coming out about where they just the speculation, even in that Variety article, they were going to shift away from Kang, and then you had the thing that came out a couple of days ago that. Supposedly the reason Loveness was removed from from uh, Kang Dynasty because he wrote Quantumania wasn't just because Quantumania sucked, but because he was writing a Kang-centric Avengers movie that supposedly now isn't a Kang-centric Avengers movie. And then today, the director, who wrote, who's the Shang-Chi director, that was announced late in the day or late afternoon that he's not directing Kang Dynasty anymore. So if you're looking from a circumstantial evidence perspective to believe that Kang Dynasty is no longer Kang Dynasty, it's just going to be a, a, a different Avengers movie. I think there's a lot of inf- I think there's certainly a lot of circumstantial evidence to kind of like support that theory, whether that means they're pivoting to doom or they're just going to go in a completely different direction. But I think it's clear they're not going to be doing Kang Dynasty. And I think that's probably for the best. And that's kind of all I have. Well, since I probably won't be on the Marvels episode and maybe not on the Loki episode, depending on when we do it, I, I think I'll just go ahead and say I think it's it's Marvel or Feige or whomever is learning the wrong lesson by listening to the fans the way they are. Um, I'm not saying they shouldn't listen to the fans. I'm saying they're taking it too far. The idea of completely abandoning your plan and not is one thing, but. The rumors and stuff about signing Robert Downey Jr. again to some more stuff and bringing back the Avengers and all of that. Um, it's it's one thing to kind of listen to the fandom for some beats or some ideas or 
uh, kind of get a sense of the pulse of the fans and what their interest is and kind of gauge that and kind of keep that intact. It's another to just straight up give the fans what they want. Uh, and I am a firm believer. And even though, yes, I critique things all the time on the show and stuff like that and in, in various capacities of expertise based on either, you know, you know, the length of time reading a character or whatever, no matter what I say on this show, I still maintain, I have no idea what I really want <laughs> and uh, neither does anybody else. So, uh, the idea, the idea that, uh, um, look, maybe it'll work out. It could, who knows? Um, but what I'm the, the, you know, and again, a lot of it's unconfirmed and stuff like that, but the rumors going around, are such that like, oh, wow, they're so upset about, you know, where we're at with this universe. We really should just abandon it all and go back to blah, 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 blah. It's like, ah, that's the wrong lesson to learn. Uh, and uh, giving people exactly what they expect, exactly what they want, isn't going to garner you much success either. But uh, I guess we'll just wait and see and let it let you learn that lesson as as it rolls out. I, though I wish you wouldn't have to learn it um, by failing. Um but they're failing now, though. That's the point. I, I, I agree. I conceptually, I agree with your point, except first of all, we, when it comes to whatever the plan was for phases four through six, we have to remember, because we talked about this, too, I think a few months ago, that when the story came out that supposedly the original plan for four through six was not for Kang to be the big bag to start with. And they only changed it because everybody was enthralled with Jonathan Major's performance. So if that happens to be true, then you have the fact that the, probably the, one of the big mistakes that they made was changing their original plan on the fly to begin with. And now they're course correcting. The other thing is a lot of people have always believed, and let's be honest, from the basics, from the concept of Secret Wars, the odds of us not seeing Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans again in a Secret Wars movie, even if they're not our 616 versions, we were the odds were we were always going to get that. They just probably weren't going to be they were probably not going to be willing to not they were not going to be as willing to keep the rumors alive and not just out and out shoot it down 100 percent because they know people that will give them some positive vibes right now when they don't have a lot. But I, I agree they can't you can't let you can't completely listen to the fan base. But but they're smart enough. What you have to give them credit for is that they're acknowledging they basically have really made a mess out of phases four and five. And they're running the risk of really completely taking taking the MCU into the crapper. And I'm not saying they're going to learn all the right lessons, because I think there's evidence to point to, to suggest that they're not. But if, for the sake of argument, regardless of what the original plan was for phases four through six, and they've picked up enough that people are not enthralled with Kang, they're not invested in Kang or don't believe in Kang as a threat based on what we haven't done or we haven't good at, done a good enough job as a as a studio to build Kang up as a threat at this point, and they want to pivot away from it. I think they're learning the right lesson. Cause I don't think this, it's a, I think there's a very small percentage of people that are really pumped to see oh the whole Kang dynasty and a thousand Kangs. I don't think people really cared about that, but I, I do get your basic point, Dan. Look at the end of the day, just let talented, creative people with a strong creative vision make something that they're good at making like that's where good movies come from that's always where good movies have come from and i'd like the as soon as marvel became the biggest thing in the world the focus was on okay how can we isolate this formula and reproduce it infinitely through an assembly line and that's how we got here like just let just just make movies the way move like talented people have always made movies. That's how, that's why people cave a shit about the MCU in the first place. And it's why movies have always been this amazing entertainment medium. The assembly line is poison. The formula is poison. Gotcha. And if all you do is give people what they already know they want, then they're never going to find something that they like even more. I think yeah. sometimes there is a, there is a fine line between being between being formulaic and and having a successful successful formula. Sometimes yeah. it's very sometimes it's a very fine line. Marvel had a good formula. They had a good formula, but I think they crossed they crossed over into being formula formulaic. For like every movie, kind of was almost like a carbon copy of itself, or had to hit the same beats all the time. And you had a rare you, you know you had the 
exceptions that were different or that that stood out more than they did in like no like no way home and things like that but i think when you look at where they've gone off the rails i think take going back to formula from the perspective of look going back and examining what worked like you said what worked in the beginning and and not and not basically believing in your own press too that you can take anything in the world throw it against the wall and make it stick so arguably maybe the what they did with guardians ultimately maybe was a big we know it worked very well financially for three movies but maybe on some levels the lessons they learned from that was a big problem that now they're trying now they're finally learning why they took the wrong lesson from that that hey we can take any obscure thing known to man because if you look at ant-man which was a lot more well known than the Guardians ever were before they were made into a movie. It's, it's just a character. As a character, Ant Man was has, no pun intended has never been big from a financial perspective. Quantum Mania was the only one that had a really sizable opening, and that, I mean that movie would have done fine if people didn't hate it. But the reality is that movie is still so small. These jokes just make themselves that about the when it comes to from a from a financial perspective. So. But that's probably how they should have approached things. Like when people were complaining about, hey, oh, the Blade movie only is like has like under a hundred million dollar budget. Why shouldn't it? Why do you need to spend a hundred million dollars to make a Blade movie? They didn't spend a hundred million dollars on the less on the Wesley Snipes movie. Um, Unless you're buying a katana that costs a (laughs) hundred million dollars. You need the actor. You need a sword. You need a pair of sunglasses. And that like. And even the CGI for for that, what you what you need. Yeah, I mean, it's like the idea that some movies don't like the Marvels cost like two hundred and seventy six million dollars. It didn't need to. And I know we know some of that's because of some of that's because of all the reshoots. But it's like that movie did not need to cost that much. And that's part of the problem, too. It's like they they think they have to throw so much money at stuff when you don't necessarily You just got to make it good. It doesn't have to. The more you spend doesn't mean that it's going to be better necessarily. Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about the lessons they should have learned from Guardians of the Galaxy? They should have learned that, yes, you can take an obscure character that nobody's ever heard of before, put them in a movie, and it will succeed because you got the right cast, you got the right story written by the right writers, you got the right director for the job, you got, like, you lined up all of the talent and let the talent do what the talent does. And they made a good quality movie. And even like, like, like even, yes, it's a, it's a sci-fi movie set in space and on all sorts of fake fantasies, like spit magic planets or whatever. There's, I, I like looking when you revisit that movie, the big chase scene and the mining pods or whatever, that's the only thing that jumps out at me as like, an egregious use of CG. Like you didn't actually need that whole sequence to be that way. But other than that, it felt like it was a pr- an appropriate level for the world they were building. And they weren't doing what most of their other movies do where like, yeah, we could just film outside, but what if we filmed in a green screen warehouse in- instead and made it look like we're filming outside. Like, no, just go the fuck outside and film something. Have real light, hit real things, and make your movie look good instead of, like, weird oatmeal. Because it's, like, it's an over-reliance on technology that they don't want to give people the time to make look as good as it needs to look to replace the real things that they wanted to replace. And that is a much larger conversation about the attitudes towards, towards labor versus technology that really came to a he- a fever pitch during the SAG-AFTRA strikes. And hopefully, based on how the, those all resolved, we might see some more, I'll say, responsible uses of things like cg in these movies going forward probably not but i'm hopeful at least my my only other concern about all of this uh is on a different note is by pivoting assuming they're pivoting away from kang and assuming the uh replacement for kang is doom my only worry is the 
quote unquote, because I know these things are done in several year spans and we won't expect to see those movies until 2025 or whatever. I understand all that is my own, my 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 only concern is this quote unquote last minute change could ruin a third version of doom you're right <laughs> Look, but I, I'm, the, I'm not a, i'm not a huge doom fan yeah, i don't, don't have yeah. a lot of history with him but i know enough to understand what a big deal he can be and if they fuck it up again <laughs> you know. but but the but the good news in all honesty they probably have like about three to four years to do it because since next year we're only getting deadpool and all the other movies that were supposed to come out next year are already pushed to 2025 and it ain't coming out in 2025 because they have four movies coming out that year. And you watch Blade will get pushed back again. That, yeah, we're probably not looking at it. 2026 would be the earliest. Go ahead, Dan. All right, so go to Mosaic Comics on YouTube where I talk about lots of comics, mostly Green Lantern. I have a lot of of vaguely cool things on the back burner right now. You'll enjoy it. Go and subscribe. If you like it, let me know in the comments. I love reading those. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GeoCast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Rest in Peace Stitcher. Leave us a positive review on all platforms. Last but not least, text or voicemail us at 708 Lantern and let us know what you think. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.